How to lose a guy in 10 days. Yes. Go. L is for the way you look at me. O is for the only one I see. V is very, very extraordinary. E is even more than anyone that you adore and love. Is all that I Hello and welcome to How to Lose a Guy in 10 Episodes, the podcast all about how to lose a guy in 10 days. The 2003 rom-com classic. I am one of your hosts today, John Parker of the Bat Minute podcast. Um, I am the one of the other hosts, uh, Niall McGowan, also of Bat Minute. So there you go. Oh, what, what a surprise. What's what the odds? And we have a very, very special guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, Scott Corelli from DuelingGenre.com and specifically the podcast Spider-Man Minute and the Cornetto Minute. Uh, which is uh, covering Hot Fuzz one minute at a time currently. Oh, yes. Good stuff. I love that movie. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> this movie, we'll get into it. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, Niall, would you like to uh, explain what is happening in, in these scenes? Yeah, well, this is episode two of How to Lose a Guy in 10 Episodes, and it covers the uh, covers minutes 11 minutes and 34 seconds. Up until 23 minutes and 7 seconds, I think. Let's hope so. Um, uh, and yeah, in this, uh, this chunk of the movie, pretty much we have, uh, actually have the plot line of the whole film is just laid out. Where it begins with Kate Hudson as Andy uh, in her magazine office, pitching her idea for an article. Uh, then, you know, it's agreed upon and she, uh, you know, goes out to find a guy she has to lose in 10 days. And then uh, we cut to McConaughey. Um, what's his name? Ben. And then he um, he is in the uh, the sort of upper, well, not upper crust, but a very sort of swanky, nice uh, bar for rich young professionals. And then eventually he makes a bet about how he can get a woman to fall in love with him in under 10 days. And then he meets Kate Hudson. They go on the beginning of a date, and that's the gist of what we see in this segment of the film. So, and that's the end of the episode. Yep. <laughs> Truly, it was how to lose a guy in ten episodes. <laughs> well, I think it lost us, mm. um, and we we are guys allegedly. Mm. So you know the title is fitting. Well, I I I'll, I'm going to start this off by just saying that um, I I have a master's degree in romantic comedy, uh, so. <laughs> I love romantic comedies. I love this genre um, a lot, like probably a lot more than most people, uh, certainly more than most men, probably. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, like I literally did a, a my master's thesis on romantic comedies. Um, yeah. Like I, I love romantic comedies. This movie is like just dog crap. I mean, it's... <laughs> It's one of the worst romantic comedies I've ever seen. Like the characters that McConaughey and uh, Kate Hudson are playing are literally named character A and character B. Like <laughs> yes. Andy and Benjamin. Like how lazy is that? Oh, it's so lazy. Um, and their I, surnames are well, their names are A A and B B. Okay, I remember thinking when I heard that it's just like because you know in the Prestige they had that clever thing in the Prestige. It was you know the Prestige is about two magicians at war with each other. And one of them is Alfred Borden, and the other guy is Robert Angier. So their initial spell out, Abra, like Abracadabra. And it's like, oh, this is like that, only not clever. Oh, like, there's not a single character in this movie to root for, like, really, except for maybe Kate Hudson's friend, maybe? Yeah, um, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, uh, Catherine Hahn, maybe, mm. possibly, kind of. Everyone else in this is just an absolute monster. Like, every, in these uh, this section of the movie, we're, like, sort of establishing uh, what, the the basis of the of the film is and and while the basis of the film from all of the marketing and everything was that oh yeah she's writing this article and she's going to do all these horrible things that women can do that can push a man away but like on the flip side of that we also have Benjamin making a bet that he can make a woman fall in love with him because if he can do that he can sell diamonds yeah yeah, so how, women, what's the connection there? How does I that don't, make any sense? Oh, it's such a stretch. It's such a stretch. And then on top of that, the two women that he's in the bet with that are also want the diamond account know that Kate Hudson's character, Andy, 
they were just at her place of business. So they know about her article that she's writing. So they're feeding her to him and vice versa so that they can win the diamond account. Like everyone is pulling the wool over everyone else's eyes and they're all monsters and unlikable and terrible. And this movie is 30 minutes too long. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Basically, that sums it up. I was, uh, I, I was stunned watching the whole thing, seeing that, like, oh, it's nearly two hours. Like, why? The only two-hour ones that I can think of are, like, the ones that span, like, a really long period of time. Like, I think, isn't, like, When Harry Met Sally, like, a solid two hours, mm. right? But it also yeah, covers, yeah. like, like 40 years of time or however long it is in that movie. <laughs> this is literally 10 days, and they can't get this under 90 minutes? Seriously? <laughs> Like, the whole point of this movie I find kind of troubling. Like, mm-hmm. it seems bizarrely sexist from multiple angles. Because mm-hmm. it seems to assume that, that women sort of act in unison. They, like, all women do these things wrong in relationships. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it treats everybody like that. But why also does it assume that it's women making the mistakes in the first place? What if the guy's just an ass? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it seems to have that air of desperation as well. Just like, what are we doing wrong? Like, it's, you know, yeah. they just seem to be so fixated on getting, get yourself a man. The whole, like, how to lose a guy in 10 days, right? Because if she's just started seeing a guy and then she does all of this crazy stuff that we're going to see later on, spoiler alert, um, of course the guy would instantly kick her to the curb. She goes beyond crazy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, the only reason that doesn't happen is because of the other bet that she doesn't know about. The, you know, the crazy random happenstance it's like, oh, if it was only another guy, but she happened to get this one guy who was also making up at But Niall, it wasn't crazy random happenstance. It was those two diamond ladies oh, setting yeah. this up. Those mm-hmm. two characters. Uh, the whole time when I was first watching, I was like, oh, they're like the uh, Randolph and Mortimer in Trading Places. Because they're doing the same thing. There's these two <laughs> intricately connected people who are just like sort of yeah. rich assholes off at the side manipulating events seemingly for their own amusement and then i noticed that when they're introduced because you know randolph and mortimer were the dukes because randolph and mortimer duke and these two are introduced as judy spears and judy green so they both had the same first name whereas the dukes had the same last name so it's like it must be there was a deliberate reference there is a much of a nightmare as uh as andy and benjamin though i will give benjamin this Benjamin Barry, terrible. Here, right here, like this beginning bit where he says, uh, you know, diamonds are for everyone. Like, that's good. Like, that's good because there are people in the world who, like, they just see diamonds. They're like, oh, well, that's not for me. Okay, but diamonds are for everyone. Okay, maybe I will buy a diamond. And then these women are like, no, diamonds aren't for everyone. That's what makes them special. They should be only for specific people. That's why people want them. And it's like... I, 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 I just don't under, I don't understand the logic there. Like, don't you want to sell more diamonds? Like, I don't I don't get it. I suppose it's a, you got a way up though. Do you want to sell more cheaper or less? Yeah, the th- more. Yeah, remember though, this is pre-recession times. This is where like maybe the stature, oh, right. maintaining the stature of the the diamonds and not letting the riffraff had any. That was kind of like, yeah, we're maintaining an image. We don't want just anyone having them. Well, I've got more to say about these diamonds in a minute. but Because um... we started off in a sort of like a negative dumping on the film note. I, w- <laughs> I will say, once we got these this clip to do, I was very excited because not only do we come in in the middle of the grand pitch of the entire plot mm-hmm. line of the film, or at least one half of that plot line, like two things that I really, really love is if people follow Batman or just follow me in social media. You know that I absolutely love Frasier. So to see like BB New- uh, Newworth here is just like, oh my oh. God. And then I also love when a character in a film says the title of the film. And she does that at yes. least twice. And, that's, and it's just to be introduced in the first 10 seconds to have her go like, hmm, how to lose a guy in 10 days. I was like, what? She said it. That's all I need. Yep, that's all I want to talk about. It's just her in that dress with that haircut, still being Lilith from Frasier, but somehow playing another character at the same time, saying the title of the movie. So it's her who's the the boss, right? Yeah. Because she is such an odd character. Like, she's a joke character, comedy, like a stereotype. Mm-hmm. Like she says um, that she wants that chic Buddhist that Richard Gere cavorts with, who turns out to be the Dalai Lama. I think that's meant to be funny. That was the thing that I actually thought, because like, I do love B.B. Neurath, but like it's she, it, I think she might be actually miscast here because she is mm. so typecast in most people's minds as Lilith from Frasier, who was a very stoic, very, very intelligent, cold, you know, psychiatrist. 
And then you put her in these things, and she's still speaking in that very clipped Lilith manner, where it seems like she's coming across as a very, very intelligent woman. And then she says something like, she does, she does like, who's that Sheikh Buddhist who Richard Gere comforts about with? And it's the Dalai Lama. And it's like, she seems like she would be intelligent enough to know who the Dalai Lama is. Like, it's, yeah. it doesn't mm-hmm. mix. It's just like, you maybe wanted to get someone with a bit more of a kind of ditzy, stereotypically like a valley girl kind of accent or something. Something along the lines of like Alicia Silverstone in Clueless, basically. But they've, yeah, this, but older, that. yeah. Yeah, but they've got, you know, this woman who just radiates intelligence off her and it doesn't quite work. And it's like, well. Someone like Sarah Jessica Parker would have been better in that role. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Phoebe the Neural, again, she's very stuck in the typecasting of Lilith, though, but she's like, pops up in other things. Maybe it's the influence of you two guys, but I, I just look at her and I'm just distracted by the fact that, like, how has she never been in a Tim Burton movie? Because she looks like she would fit perfectly in a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Hell yeah, I could see that. She was recently on Broadway playing Morticia Adams. Insanely perfect casting. Like, I literally could not yeah. think of anyone better except Angelica Houston. <laughs> so, I was like, yeah, yeah. bravo, bravo. Broadway producers. <laughs> that is really good. See, you, you did some deep research look, looking at things like that. I just wrote down a note. I love the guy in the background saying that men are attracted to purple shoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite part of this bit at the I beginning. Don't I don't know why he's saying that. Is this going to be like a, an article talking about purple shoes? Well, the thing is, truthful. Like, <laughs> you, I, I like purple shoes. Yeah. Me, I've, I've owned purple shoes, so it's 100% true <laughs> in my case, at least. Love that contrivance, though, of anyone having to say the plot line of a film in a film. Because this one, it kind of works because mm-hmm. that's, all right, that's the, the title of the article. But I do right. wish they would make it a rule, like, oh, you have to have the title in your movie somewhere. It's like, because, okay, <laughs> if it's like Spider-Man, it's like, well, they say Spider-Man all the time. But it was like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, p- people sitting talking going like, well, we've had close encounters of, like, the first and second kind. But this is like, <laughs> we're having close encounters of the third kind. They're like, oh, he said Whoa. it. He said the title. Well, let's, so let's talk about, let's talk about uh, Andy because um, she's like, she fits right into that rom-com trope of the, the girl who's like not a girly girl. You know, she's like a cool girl that likes she likes sports. stuff that men do, you know, <laughs> <laughs> she drinks beer. Obviously. I mean, this is a, this is a casting choice, obviously, but she's like the most beautiful of all of her friends. And it's just, it's like the most ridiculous trope of of romantic comedies it's like she can't get a man because she's too much like a man <laughs> it's just ridiculous uh, she also falls into that thing like every time like uh, we're saying off mic like me and my friend dave we frequently watch rom-coms when we're just you know just sitting around together because it's just like oh, i was put on something for the background and there's always a rom-com because they're fun to watch but like mm-hmm. every time i have to pitch one to him even if it's a hypothetical one my first line is always like well, Star's a woman, and she's she's good at her career, but she's unlucky in love. <laughs> Every time. Yeah, and she's clawing her way up the career ladder, but she's unlucky in love. But, like, because like, Almost Famous is one of my all-time favorite films. So I, I am invested in how good like, an actress Kate Hudson can be. And it mm-hmm. is very much like, McConaughey had the McConaissance. Why is there no... You know, hudson assance Like, where, why is she, she's just kind of kicking back. Maybe she's just like, oh, I got the money made. I think it's the fact that uh, actresses don't get second shots like, like men do. Men have two parts of their, actors have two parts of their careers, and women rarely have two parts. She already got her first part, which was in her early 20s, and now she's going to, you know, be relegated to, like, I don't know, Owen Wilson's wife in some <laughs> random movie. You know, like, that's... That's it sucks, but like yeah, that's I think that's what's going on with her, unfortunately. Until you're even older, there's nothing going. Like you can play an yeah. old crone. That's about it. It's the only <laughs> other role. Yeah, it's a bummer. McConaughey's career is so distinctly of two parts because he did have a good ten years of just making nothing but essentially dreck. Uh, you know, occasionally pop up in something where you're like, oh, this guy can actually act and stuff. And even like it's not actually bad. he actually is doing the job well. It's just more the material's not that good. And then. He seemed to make kind of like George Clooney did after, you know, Batman and Robin and stuff, where Clooney kind of got to that position where he's like, okay, now I've got financial security. I am now going to make films that I actually want to make rather than just like, hey, it's a payday. And so, yeah, McConaughey, all of a sudden, it was just like this hard hitting of like, Killer Joe, True Detective. And you're just like, the world realized, like, wait a minute, this guy can act. And I was like, I know, you know, off mic last night, um, and almost tying into one of the things we frequently did on Bat Minute, 
where uh, we made the shocking revelation by you know bringing people on who disclosed to me that apparently Jack Nicholson wasn't a sexy guy. I found out. <laughs> oh, from, I know where this is going. I found out from last night. John Parker and his and his girlfriend don't think Matthew McConaughey is good looking. And this was just like no, what? Like he, he's not. He's not handsome. He's not ugly. But he's not like like classically handsome guy or anything. Well, it's it's the thing. It's like um, it's sort of like uh, uh, uh what's his name? Uh, Momoa, Jason Momoa, right? Mm. It's. Some some people are really into that kind of uh, redneck thing that Matthew McConaughey has, um, and I mean, yeah, he's like a he's like an attractive redneck. Like the fact that that's all trying, I could think of. Yeah, yeah, the fact that he's like trying to pull off like he's like an urban socialite is actually kind of a miscast, I think, because he's he's so obviously a redneck that it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's a similar thing to Jason Momoa. It's like if you're into that sort of like long hair, you know, uh, sort of uh, mechanic guy under a motorcycle vibe, like then you're going to find that guy attractive. But like if you're not into that, then you're not, you know? John's saying this and his girlfriend. I was like, okay, that, you know, all right, that's their taste. But I mentioned to someone, I was at lunch earlier, my friend Steve had his girlfriend there, Sarah, and I mentioned it to her, and she's like, oh, no, I don't find Matthew McConaughey attractive either. And I was like, what is wrong with the world? This guy's clearly he's... like a proper hunk. What's what's happening? No, he's not the, He's not a stereotypical hunk. He's weird looking. Oh, yeah. He's a really strange looking face. I really, yeah. and... I really hitched my wagon to some <laughs> drastically dropping stars from the past. Well, no, 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 because <laughs> not now. At least with this, you're right. Like he he is he was a sex symbol. Like that's that's one hundred percent. Jack Nicholson was never a sex symbol. I hate no. to break it to you, but Matthew McConaughey was definitely a sex symbol. But that doesn't mean that he, he's going to be everybody's cup of tea. But you know, I'm, I'm very thankful that he has got this second half of his career because he's doing the work work he does now is like you're almost guaranteed of like oh McConaughey's in it, then he's um you know he's. It's it's probably going to be something good because he he just chooses good material now. So, you know, we went through this period where he's just like, oh yeah, I'm a I'm a rom com guy, and he's done a couple of villainous parts. I think he's at his best when he's villainous because you can even kind of see a bit of it in this little chunk that we have when he meets up with Kate Hudson, like when uh, they're doing that sort of uh, mono worded flirtation. At one point, she kind of goes crazy, and he kind of smiles and goes, rarely. And it's kind of like, I could buy this guy, because he was in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. I could yeah. buy him. It's a yeah. complete nut job. I'm still mourning yeah. the fact that, like, they wasted him in that Dark Tower movie, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, originally, Josh Boone was making a version of The Stand, and he was part. He was actively campaigning for, like, I want Matthew McConaughey for Randall Flagg and a big Stephen King villain. Ah. Perfect casting. When I heard that, I was like, oh, my God, how have I never seen that before? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's exactly who you need. And then they cast him in The Dark Tower as the man in black, who, in Stephen King lore, is Randall Flagg. And now that film bombed. The likelihood of Matthew McConaughey wanting to come back to play that part again is very, very slim. So it's like, oh, you wasted a really good villain just by your stupid Dark Tower movie. I mean, he could be in, like, American Psycho with the way he looks, I think. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He would make a good Norman Osborn, too. Yeah. Mm. That's the thing, though. American Psycho, I can imagine they could add in an element of of him affecting a New York accent and then having Mm. Patrick Bateman, the character, be like, this is – because his whole thing is that – his face is not really his face, and he is everything about him is just mm. layers of mm. fakeness upon you know the the, the nothing that that actually is inside him. So that actually could work. You know, they could have him in American Psycho. Maybe he can do other accents, but if he can't, I like an actor who's honest about it. Just okay, I can't really do him. <laughs> if you hire me, this is what you're getting. So, because for instance, I love John Malkovich. But he should never do accents. <laughs> Every accent he does mm-hmm. is just the most painful thing I have ever sat through. Please stop, John. <laughs> She's still pitching this this this, uh, this magazine article. But then the the women head out mm. into the night to find the guy. Yeah, yeah. This is a thing though, and this is a <clears throat> the thing about rom coms is, and I, I do love them. And there's almost a, there's a comfort in watching a rom com because yes, they all sort of exist in a kind of fantasy world where everyone has loads of money all the time, and mm-hmm. they're all incredibly attractive, and mm-hmm. <laughs> like. S- simple things like this, like they're they're I can't relate to this on a in real life because their confidence of like I'm going to go out and find a man tonight and I'm easily <laughs> gonna get him to you know go out with me 
in the blink of an eye. It's like I've never gone out to a bar and been like, I'm so certain that I'm going to pick up someone <laughs> that it's not even a thought that I won't. Like, it's crazy to me. And it's just like, yeah, that's the, that's the world of the good-looking people of rom-coms, where it's not even a, a, a thought. I've never even gone out with the intention of meeting someone. No. It just it just happens. Like, right. you become friends, you talk for a while. Yeah. I've never gone, I'm going to try and meet someone consciously. Yeah, yeah. No, I have attempted it in like my, my you know late teens, but it never worked out. <laughs> so, and then after a while, I realized like, nah, that's a, that's not the way you're gonna do it. Man. And not not to mention the fact that like I don't even think it's really done this way anymore. Like I think this part of it is outdated. Like you can't just like walk up to strangers and chat them up anymore. Like that's not. Yeah. Really, a thing that at least in America, like it's it's all yeah. dating apps, and well, I I need to know your name so I can research you on Facebook and figure out who <laughs> you are before we ever meet in real life, which is good. I mean, there's safety in that for sure. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this this idea of like just going to a bar and chatting people, like I don't really think that's a thing anymore. Maybe in college, where you just feel like everyone's a college student, so you kind of like get their deal. Yeah. But like yeah, once you're once you're dating in your 20s and 30s, like this, this isn't a thing anymore. Not really. Mm. No, I would think someone had some kind of weird, creepy motive if they came up and spoke to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. The, the fact that they go to a very swanky looking bar where it's like all cocktails and it looks like you, you're going to spend a good like probably like 100 bucks in there if you go in just for like two drinks. Like it seems like very very swag, and that's not the kind of place I would yeah. frequent myself nowadays. Though, because most of my most of my friends and stuff are all settled down. Most of them have babies and stuff these days. So it's like I don't really go out. I don't go out to bars at all, really, because just like oh, most mm-hmm. of the time, people just invite you around to their house and you sit and talk to them. That's the only, the only people you want to talk to. And the, you know, when I do go out, you always find the problem like, well, it's too loud. I can't talk to the person I've gone out with. So what's the, right. what's the point yes. of this? <laughs> Even though the the film itself is of course a wild sort of fantasy, the most accurate thing to trying to flirt with people at parties that I, that I can think of in a movie is in Scott Pilgrim when he's first trying to talk to Ramona at that party and just sort of like awkwardly standing by her when she's just leaning against yep. the wall. It's like, yep, <laughs> that's pretty much what yep. it is. And then you just feel rejected and you're just like, I'll leave you alone forever now. <laughs> I'll make it convenient that they'll see me walking around this party a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Kate Hudson's in that bar and she's trying to... Uh, find a guy and she goes up to a, a fellow and sits down starts talking to him and turns out he's married and it's just the idea of like a married man sitting talking to a random strange woman he doesn't know and then like it just been like oh. yeah this is the thing that people do it's like I would. no that's 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 completely unbelievable i don't see that as being a problem i i, I speak to anyone who talks to me basically i don't know it doesn't mean you're doing anything it just seems like a very like odd thing that he would even be like Yep, I'm just out meeting new people with just out for a drink with my wife, and I'm going to meet random strangers. It just seems very odd to me. Especially in the world of this movie, where all men and women are just the most sexist version of themselves, it seems weird to me that this husband would just talk to Kate Hudson and not think that his wife would come back and be jealous and <laughs> go, you know, mad with jealousy and scratch her eyes out or something. I, I kind of like, I've seen this movie before and I half expected that to happen because of the kind of movie this is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, when you put it that way, mm-hmm. it depends on the type of person you are. Right. <laughs> like me and my girlfriend, we were out um, a few weeks ago, we were in Manchester visiting and we wanted to go to a different bar after we saw a show. And this random person just started talking to me. It turned out they were going to that bar. So we ended up just sort of becoming friends with this random woman. <laughs> just following her like t- 30 minutes up the road. That was fine. Like that wasn't seen as weird. But yeah. you know. I do actually like the uh, the, act- the acting of, of the guy's wife. Because when she comes up, she does have this real like, hi, hi, hi. Like she's got a look in her eye of like, what is happening here? And Kate Hudson does have this very like, oh, yeah, don't worry. Like it's, it's understood between them that's... You know, she was obviously was trying to flirt with him, and it's just like, all right, okay, fair enough. I didn't realize, and they 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 back off each other, which is like, oh, you know, I like the acting there. You can read what's happening in the scene. But uh, that that guy though, that woman's actually um, the actress is Natalie Brown, uh, because I know because she's like the wife of the main character in uh, The Strain. The Guillermo del Toro vampire show that finished up there last year. So just seeing her in a little two-second part, I was like, oh, I know her. What the hell? Yeah, both those actors actually went on to 
their next film was um, Welcome to Mooseport, which of course was directed by Donald Petrie, who directed this movie. So I guess he was like, I like these people. I'm keeping them around. Just roll into the next movie. That makes a lot of sense that those were directed by the same people. They're both like as generic of a movie as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Makes perfect sense. <laughs> one of the friends says that um, they're listing things guys hate, and one of them says that men hate women being touchy-feely. Mm. Yeah, I think they're talking about emotionally touchy-feely. Mm. Oh, okay, okay. I'm, yeah. I think I thought they meant physically. <laughs> no, I don't think so. That kind of took it to mean the two parts, though. Boy, like, they wouldn't mi- the, the guy wouldn't mind in the flirtation stage if the woman was touchy-feely. But then once they're together as a couple... If she was constantly holding his hand and, you know, you know, being touchy-feely in public. I know a lot of guys who would be very like, wait, what's this? Like, no, you know, just yeah. stay away from me. Like, you know. how, how humiliating I'm holding a woman's hand. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I'm not the most uh, masculine of men. I, I enjoy touchy-feely <laughs> I behavior. I don't think any of us are, John. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. I, I, like to, I like a cuddle. But I, yeah. I, I'm not allowed to do that at night. It's like, no, you get five minutes of cuddling, then we're sleeping. You've got to go to the other side of the bed. <laughs> yes, 100%. Same situation for me as well. Oh, no. Yeah. What, what is it, women? Come on. Go chime in. Send messages. It's, it's because we run hot, and so, like, it gets hot if yeah. you're cuddling for too long. And then you can't go to sleep. Oh, no, I've, I've totally had that. Like, that's been... Like a nightmare for me in the past of like sharing a bed with someone where you're just like, holy crap, it's hot in there. <laughs> like it's just, it's yeah. literally then just letting them have all the blankets because you're just like, I'm just lying outside. This is crazy yeah, how hot it too is. Much, too much body heat going on. Uh, <laughs> Matthew McConaughey's character, Benjamin, um, very much sticking to his uh, redneck roots by being at this fancy place being surrounded by martinis and champagne, and uh, he's drinking a Budweiser straight out of the bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he hasn't even disguised it in a glass or anything. No, he's just waiting at the reserve table with a Budweiser in a bottle. (laughs) You know, every time you see him in his apartment, he's always going for a bottle of Bud. Well, you know, one blatant product placement. But it's also adding into that thing the TV does, where, like, yeah, men just drink beer throughout the day. And like apparently you can have you can be as chiseled as Matthew McConaughey just casually knocking around <laughs> drinking beer all day. It's like I'm pretty sure you can't. Okay, so there is a there's a joke in the second season of The Good Place. Uh, I think it's at the first episode. It's either first or second episode where I think it's the first where um, Kirsten Bell's character's uh, soulmate in the sort of rebooted version of The Good Place or whatever. Um, he she has this <laughs> this soulmate who is just like this super chiseled guy, and every time she asks him a question, he's like, "Hold that thought, I have to go work out." And then and the joke is like he's always saying that to get out of talking to her or whatever. Um, but I'm just thinking, yeah, no, that makes sense. If you look like that, that's what you have to be. You have to be like, <laughs> oh, hold yeah. that thought, I need to go work out right now. <laughs> Not a complaint I had about the show, but like it was a thing I took note of in. The way they portray um, like uh, Kirsten Bell's character is like, oh yeah, she's like the worst person in the world, like really lazy, slovenly, just sits around drinking, eating junk food all the time, and then she looks like Kirsten Bell. <laughs> it's like, you know, Kirsten Bell is, you know, she's like very much like Matthew McConaughey. She's very, very fit in the fact like she could kick my ass very, very easily. But at the same <laughs> time, so you look at her, it's like that is not a woman who has that lifestyle. It's very right. – you should have had some – but at the same time, it's like, well, this this show is very, very silly. So it's like right. you can just buy into like, yep, that's just – it's just somehow she's got an amazing metabolism and she just looks like this. Like if there's an afterlife, I want my afterlife to be a romantic comedy because <laughs> those – you get to eat whatever you want. You look great. You know, like everything, all of like the romance and love in your life is dialed up to 10 all the time. Like You know, when they're going into the bar and they're talking about like, oh, you should – Ring up the guy in the middle of the night and talk, tell him everything you, you've eaten. And then Catherine Hahn goes like, well, what's wrong with that? And it's like, oh, yeah, because she is supposed to be the one who is the proper loser in love and stuff. But because uh, Catherine Hahn nowadays is mostly like, oh, she's the woman who's kind of broke big with uh, transparent and bad moms. And this is like, like that's her like 13 years later. So she's a bit older looking and stuff. And I forgot that she was in this. 
And the thing is, because I'm a big fan of uh, the sitcom You're the Worst with uh, yeah. Cash and that, like the main, you know, the, the joint main lead. Looks mm-hmm. so much like Catherine Han, and particularly in the delivery of that line. I was like, are they related? Because it was eerily close to it. Especially in that last uh, that last season where she let her eyebrows grow out. Yeah. Um, yeah. She, I was like, I was like, what? she just looks exactly like Catherine Han. It's really <laughs> distracting. And-, and I actually had to look it up. I was like, are they actually related? And uh, apparently they're not, but they did play sisters in an episode of something called Traffic Light. So it's like, oh, oh apparently Hollywood also took notice. Like, oh, these two should be in something together. Dukes of this movie uh, come into the, the bar and they're joined by their boss, Philip, who is kind of like the love child of uh, Angus Scrim from Phantasm and Andrew Lloyd Webber. Like, you just mesh those two men together and you get this guy. Uh, he kind of has, um, um, what is that guy's name? The guy from uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. He just recently passed away. Oh. Yeah. He kind of looks like him too. Robin Leach. Robin Leach. Yes. Mm. Yeah. He looks just like Robin Leach. I was just waiting for him to come in, just like point at McConaughey and be like, boy. He is as horrifying as the tall man. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, yeah. Particularly, there's a, there's a second in this chunk where it is like he's just full on perving and one of the women there yeah. as well. It's like, yeah. oh, yes. And it's kind of just presented as like, yep, that's the way life is, right? <laughs> it's like that's men. Oh, that's and that's that's a big problem. And also, I can't tell if this movie is celebrating the fact that they are uh, that these two women are uh, taking advantage of their attractiveness to get the job, or if they're if they're celebrating that, or if they're condemning it. Like, I I can't really get a feel for the movies opinion of uh, their <laughs> level of professionalism because um, yeah. it's not good. It's not good. Like, cause my, my thing is like, Oh, okay. So what the movie is saying is that they might not be that great at their job. They're just like the only pair of uh, working professional women willing to do this to like, <laughs> you know, make him look at their, look at their cleavage because they happen to put a diamond there and uh, go to go with him to dinner with like each of them on his arm and like make him feel like a manny manly man man with two women like mm. it's just i don't know the whole thing just feels so manipulative and gross yeah um on both on both ends he's gross for letting it happen and like for buying into it but they're kind of gross for doing it in the first place matthew mcconaughey's gross because he's gonna try to get some strange woman to fall in love with him she's gr- like kate hudson's gr- everybody's gross they're all gross <laughs> This movie's Every gross. single person in this is just hateful. Mm. Yeah. You, just, you, you don't want to spend time with them. <laughs> no. The thing no. is, that when they come in to meet McConaughey, there's a moment, too, again, going back to him being almost sort of creepy and villainous. One of the women says to him, like, oh, you weren't supposed to be at this meeting. And he goes, like, yeah, but I should have been. And he kind of goes, leans into her as if, like, is this a threat? Like, it seems like he, got, he almost skews into being violent for a second and then dials it way, way back. That's kind of like, mm-hmm. this guy... If Matthew McConaughey in real life turned out to be a serial killer, I'd be like, we should we should have saw it coming. Really, <laughs> he he plays creeps way too well, and he mm-hmm. the, this is he could turn on a dime in this. This could be like if he wanted to take this movie another way. And make it like a creepy stalker film about him trying to make this woman fall in love with him. I, I like him when he's like sort of uh, being the he's got getting like overwhelmed by like Andy's like craziness later in the movie. I, I like his sort of like, oh, come on, like that, that's just sort of like overwhelmed, <laughs> overwhelmed uh, uh, thing that he does, which is which I like. But um, early on, he's definitely got uh, he reminds me of his character in um, Killer Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. yeah where he's a real creep in that movie. <laughs> Okay, so the, the setup we've got here, you know, the point of the pitch is that, like, we're at the very beginning. She's going to get this guy and, you know, hook up with him and then make, drive him away within 10 days. As um, you know, as Janice says, uh, is it Janice or B.B. Neuroth? Anyway, as she says, mm. five is too short and we go to print in 11 days. And it's like, why not make it a week? Why not seven days? Surely that's a night. Like, that's, you get more days to write the article then. But whatever, whatever. Um, but so she's going to do that, and then he's made the he's making this bet of okay, I can get any woman to fall in love with me within the, this ten days. But the thing is, you know, okay, she's deliberately planning to emotionally traumatize someone to have to you know not maybe not leave any lasting psychological scars or anything like that, but at least to put him through enough distress that he has to get rid of her. 
And then what's his what's his long term plan though? Because at least at the end of her part, the guy's gone. Ah, yeah. But if she if he gets this woman to fall in love with him, is it just like after the ten days? Is he planning to be like, okay, so you're done. I'll see you. Oh, I think he would dump her. Like yeah. straight away. I think he's the kind of guy to just kick her to the curb. Oh, yeah. He's, he doesn't want to be tied down. I don't think he's into relationships at all. <laughs> You're working under the assumption now that everyone in this movie isn't a monster, and they all are. All of them are monsters. <laughs> and you know what? I, I gave Ka- Catherine Hahn's character the benefit of the doubt, but I was wrong to do so because I forgot that she made him pay like $1,000 an hour for uh, being a, a psychiatrist and oh, she's not right. one. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I have a, I have a jewelry question here mm. because McConaughey says that diamond ads are normally targeted at men, right, to buy it for the woman. Mm-hmm. Are they? Like, the only ones I've ever seen seem to be very much a, a, fe- a female advert, a female commercial. But this is so alien to my world. Maybe I'm wrong. Generally speaking, it is like they—they they are um, sort of presenting it. It seems like it's for women. It's like um, I don't know. It's supposed to be like a like a woman's uh, uh, I don't know, like a like a fantasy kind of mm. move. But it's always in in the thing. It's never a woman buying it for herself. It's always a man buying it for her. And so I think uh. the idea. Is that you're watching it with your significant other? She's like, "Oh, that's so romantic," and then you're just like, mm, "I could, I could be as cool as that guy," and then go get <laughs> that thing. So yeah, I think I think it's like a little bit of both. Like it's it's advertising yeah. directly to the men because they're the ones that are going to buy it because women don't. I don't know, like the 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 ideas that like women don't buy diamonds for themselves, which seems ridiculous to me. But it's insane. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, like you only receive diamonds as gifts, I guess, is the idea that he is uh, suggesting. Um, I don't know. But then later, the the idea is like frost yourself. So it's like, <laughs> so you do want them to buy it themselves, not the man buy it. Or are you wanting men to start buying diamonds for themselves as well? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe men don't wear enough diamonds. So uh, yes. you're not too sure whether the, uh, the the two Judys here, that they're, if they're whether they're supposed to be sort of supportive of the fact that they're using their sexuality to get ahead or if the film's condemning it and whatnot. Like, it's condemning the magazine that's setting up the premise of the film as well. Like, right. the whole, you know, Kate Hudson's character is supposed to be, she's better than this. She wants to go around and talk about important things like politics and the news. And But she's working at a fashion magazine is yeah. the stupidest thing. It's like working for <laughs> Entertainment Weekly and be like, you know, I don't really want to talk about movies or music or, or entertainment. I want to talk about politics. It's like, well, you're at the wrong magazine. This is where they're not going to let you talk about politics. Why would they do that? It's insane. It, it makes no sense. But and I I have lots of questions about it as well. Like why on earth does she think if she pulls off this one great article, then she's allowed to do whatever she wants from now on. <laughs> you do one good thing, oh, you've got free reign now. Mm. Yeah. Surely you need years and years and years of consistently good work for them to go. I think you can you can kind of, you know, just do what, what you like now. Yes. <laughs> it makes no sense. No, none whatsoever. None whatsoever. You can do whatever you want at the fashion magazine. <laughs> like, it's a fashion mag. You still can't write about politics. This isn't a political yeah. magazine. My God. Ridiculous. I imagine the readers getting to that article just being like, what the hell is going on? Also, not for nothing, but like, man, I can't wait to read a a, 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 a political article from a 21-year-old <laughs> who has never had to struggle. She has a full-time writing gig at a, at a magazine at 21, has never struggled in her entire life. How dare she? And now she wants to write, she wants to write a, like, she wants to not just write a, a thing just about politics. She wants to solve problems in the Middle East and stuff. Like, <laughs> you're not, no, no 21 year old is solving any pro- political issues in the world. Like, go, go do your job and write about shoes. Like, that's what you're there to do. My God. I, I kind of took it, it could be insulting to the audience as well, because it's saying, like, she's in, uh, her mind is on higher things than, like, this trashy magazine. And it's kind of, this is a very trashy throwaway rom-com. So it's kind of like the, the kind of people who read those magazines are the kind of people who are the target demographic of how to lose a guy in 10 days. So it's kind of like the film's like insulting them. It's like, I don't know if that's the way you want to go about this, dude. It's like, a good point, actually. <laughs> you know, if you didn't need to solidify them as monsters even more, like uh, there's a, a bit of them flat out been horrible and very, very shallow. 
where individually both of them were um, eyeing up prospective uh, victims essentially <laughs> yeah. at one point Kate Hudson's looking at a guy and she's like the guy next to that guy in the green shirt who I wouldn't even think about and it's like it's just some average looking guy sitting there and she's going for the it's the, it's the guy it's the married guy she ends up going for the way she's just so dismissive like oh that, that guy in the green shirt I wouldn't even give the time of day to well that's, well, that's very shallow yeah. especially considering you're like what like wouldn't you want that the guy that you wouldn't want to talk to like isn't that the one you'd want to go for if you're gonna like do what you're about to do to them yeah like, <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah, you don't it, want to actually like him. Right. Wouldn't it be, and wouldn't it be even more impressive, impressive if you drove around, if you're a 10 and you drove away a 6? Isn't that even more impressive? Like, for your article, I mean. Um, I mean, it's still, you're an absolute monster, no matter what. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, from an article perspective, I think you'd want kind of a challenge. Well, you'd think so. Yeah, but then has a kind of corresponding moment when, like, they're pointing out prospective women for him to hook up with. And they're like, oh, what about the, the blonde and the leopard skin? She looks like fun. And it's, like, it's a woman who's, you know, slightly, a little bit, um, you know, a little bit heavier than Kate Hudson would be, and she's like so necking a drink. She's got blonde hair, very heavily fake tan. And then McConaughey's kind of laughing, like, oh, be nice, girls, be nice. As if, like, oh, as if I would go for that woman. She looks like she's crazy. And it's like, no, but you don't know anything about her. She could be perfectly nice. What the hell's, what's your problem? I really don't know what the message is supposed to be. I'm going to be honest. Mm. I don't. What's it trying to tell us? I don't know. And as far as romantic comedies go, um, I will say this, and this is jumping way ahead all the way to the end. Uh, these two do not stay together. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way. They barely know each other. They barely know each other. They have nothing in common. They're both terrible people. They will last another 10 days and then break up permanently. <laughs> I don't know. Those Knicks tickets are pretty, uh, you know, pretty exciting. She was good at that They seem to game. solve any problem. So, yeah, but, uh, I don't know if I should mention, uh, just for the completionist's sake, but the... Uh, the music. You got two songs in, uh, in this little segment. Uh, you, uh, first, you get "Amore" by Santana, featuring Macy Gray. Ties in with you, Scott, the Spider-Man. The last time I saw mm-hmm. Macy Gray was in Spider-Man One. She doesn't seem to have appeared anywhere since. And then yeah, uh, I think that might be the last time anyone saw Macy Gray. Yeah, <laughs> crushed by that balloon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, and then you get uh, "19 2000" by the Gorillas, which everyone knows, big classic song, which actually kind of. I don't know if they just chose that well or they just lucked out because that's the kind of song it still would play in bars today, at least in the UK. Like that's, the Gorillas are still very beloved. That's still a very yeah. well-liked song. And so, like, usually at this point in a, a rom-com from the 2000s, you'd hear something like maybe an early Britney song that you don't hear in the radio anymore or, like, Tattoo would be playing or something. Like, acts that <laughs> just aren't around anymore. But they just seem to have lucked out by, like, oh, this is a song that, like, yeah, it kind of makes it almost like it's timeless except the fact you know there's no social media in it but all the fashions are dated though now come on look the, the, the clothes and the hair you just don't see people looking like this now which is weird because it makes me feel old well, i think that the, the the men's fashion seem to be very much like that's pretty much the same but uh... well i despise all of the men's fashions in this but it fits the characters McConaughey's terrible choice of slacks all the time <laughs> stop wearing these slacks <laughs> I remember you were saying that, that you and your girlfriend were saying last night, John, you had a particular beef with the Kate Hudson's hair. Oh, Jesus. It has shocking throughout the whole first half of this movie. Mm-hmm. It does look like it's very strenuously straightened. Like Because, you've again, yeah. you've seen her in Almost Famous. She has fantastic, big, beautiful, curly locks. And it's like, but this one, they're like, no, straighten it all out. Just get it all straight, straight, straight. Yeah, straight. and they've wrecked it in doing that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes yeah, you can see like wispiness in the background coming up in the back of her head. It's like that hair is not supposed to be like that, Kate. Just let it go. Just let it flow the way it's naturally supposed to flow. Well, well, McConaughey comes over and talks to her. Uh, we didn't even mention that, you know. And considering how he's bigging himself up as like a ladies' man, he clearly has no idea how to approach and talk to human beings whatsoever. He comes across like a creep and and an idiot. He just kind of stands there. If, the, if both of them weren't deliberately trying to hook up with someone there that night. Would this mono-word approach to flirting actually work between both of them? No. No. Absolutely no. not. No. It's a lucky coincidence. No, I mean, this this whole the whole thing of them getting together is only happening because they both need someone to torture. <laughs> I mean, that's that's it. Uh, it's... I mean, literally, I would, I, you know what I want to do? I want to remake this movie, and I just want to make them both serial killers that choose each other to kill <laughs> as their yeah. next kill. 
Like that's that was what I said when we were watching it. Actually, I, I said um, my instant thought was it seems like it's setting it up that at least he is going to be a murderer. <laughs> like she's going to push him over the edge, maybe, mm-hmm. and he's going to snap and he's going to kill her. <laughs> and then the last third of the movie is dealing with this. Like, the thing it could be in a good twist though. If you thought that, and then she turned out to be the serial killer, and the how to lose yes. a guy in ten days was like how to dispose of a body. Before Rigor Mortis yes. sets in or something. Oh, that would be perfect. That God. would be so good. Yeah. Well, I love how, because they've both got you know separate bets to win, that they're just going all out, balls to the wall with the forwardness. Like, the way they approach each other and start talking about, you know, where they want to take this. I don't even want to call it a relationship. They've literally just started speaking, but they skip about 800 steps of mm-hmm. flirting. And jump right to yeah, I'm gonna go somewhere with you to get some food. Cool. It, it is, it is, but it is absolutely insane that like it. To, it totally makes sense that she would go along with wherever he's he, he you know chose to take them, like whatever, because she's like yeah. really trying to like hook this guy so she can start torturing him uh, the next day. But uh, why in the world, if you're trying to get a woman to fall in love with you, why do you take her to a crab shop? Like. <laughs> Yes, crabs are like the most, like top five worst foods to eat on a first date. I mean, mm. easily. I thought that because it's like, it's not exactly a sexy date. It's it's very messy and irritating and tough work. <laughs> yeah, reminded me of a thing though. Way back when, uh, about ten years ago, there was a like an online written blog a guy did called uh, Fifty Two Burrito Dates, and I kind of at the time I was like, oh, this is a good idea because I, I could see where he was coming from, where I think he had won like a year's worth of free burritos. So he decided to do a blog where he'd uh, invite the, you know different girl out every week to go for a date, but it would have to be with the burrito. They'd have to eat a burrito each. And his whole pitch was like the burrito was the best food for a date because neither of you cannot not be messy. So you're kind of on the even keel of just like, yep, I'm just going to get sauce okay. everywhere and food's going to go everywhere. I want to be constantly getting more napkins and stuff like that. And he's just like, yeah, it just eases the tension because you're both just at, at, at the the inconvenience of like having very, very messy food and trying to just, you know, your, your guard will drop a little bit of like, all right, well, we're both in this very messy position. I guess I understand that. I think, I think though, um, I don't know. I think, I think maybe just in general, I think like maybe food is a mistake on a first date. Go, go for a walk or something. I don't know. You can't really talk too much when you're stuffing your face with crap. Right. <laughs> or going to see a movie. Like those are usually like the two go-to first date yeah. things. And I think they're both kind of a mistake, to be honest. Go get a drink, maybe. That's fine. Mm. Um, but uh, maybe don't get food. So, uh, no, I was just going to say, like, uh, you know, before they even get to this crab place, we do have uh, McConaughey doing a bit of reckless endangerment because, you know, we've seen he's, he's had that Budweiser getting on a motorbike, getting her on the back of his motorbike with him, which is one. That, well, one Budweiser. Yeah, I don't know, because then you see him in the crab place. He's having another one. So it's like, is this guy just how, how many Buds is he in? Two, uh, actually, well, I thought that was bad for him as well, like, because he's trying to he's trying to impress her. So it's like, I don't know if I owned a motorbike, if, if I, that was my mode of transportation. I was trying to pick up a woman who's in like a like an elegant dress and stuff. I'd be like, get on the back of this bike. Because it's like, most people probably wouldn't feel safe. If you've never been on a motorbike before, and you're like, so what do I do? Just have yeah. to sit and just hold on to you for dear life? Like, I could yeah, die. <laughs> and then he's just so like, yep, this is the way we're getting here, and you're going to wear this helmet. I know you probably spent ages doing your hair, but here's this helmet you're going to have to wear and stuff. <laughs> and I thought that was very bad form. Yeah. Like, I'm, not, I'm no ro- expert in romance or dating. But for a guy who's trying to get a woman to fall in love with him in less than 10 days, yeah, this is a terrible... Terrible foot to start out on. But remember, Niall, we live in a magical world where no one has helmet hair and uh, <laughs> and and a man can drink uh, a beer, one beer an hour, and it has the same effect on him as water. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's a magical world where none of these things, none of these elements matter at all. She does look cute with the helmet on. Let me say that. But why does he have a spare helmet just attached to the bike? Because he's bringing, he's he's picking up women all the time. That was the only thing I could think of. He just he gets laid that often. He's yeah. just constantly driving women around on the bike. Yeah, oh, I, I could accept that though. Like if you have the space for it, I'd be like, yeah, you never know. I might bump into a friend, and maybe they'll need a lift home, so I've got the spare helmet for them. And, yeah. Bike bikers are loners. <laughs> yeah. Not McConaughey. He's he's flipping all the rules. Well, and actually the crab thing as well. I, I forgot to mention this with the crab. My only thought with that for why maybe it's there is because. I said it's quite physical. 
it's like tough work. It, it, so maybe there's a kind of sexual connotation to the to the physicality. Mm. You know, it's mm. quite um, it, it's, it's kind of rough almost. You know what I mean? It's, it's a flirty, flirtatious kind of you know, crack it open. It's, it's very masculine. I could have figured uh. like it's uh, you know an aphrodisiac, like isn't crabs or like seafood itself supposed to be like the, the food of love and whatnot? Maybe I'm getting way yeah, off. Again. Stinky food. <laughs> crabs? I don't. I don't, that's oysters, not crabs. <laughs> Again, too, too stinky. I've just recently discovered that at least three men I thought were very sexy. Apparently, you're reviled by the general public. So maybe I don't know a lot about this stuff. Uh, I did note as well that um, when the uh, the two men meet up with BB Nurith and she's like, "Oh, you know, like, so what? What are you working on now?" And then she interrupts, going like, "Oh, how to lose a guy in ten days," and that whole pitch. Uh, there's there's lines in that that are like I was stunned to discover that they weren't trailer lines because there's bits put in where like uh, one of them goes like oh that sounds needlessly vicious and then BB Neurath goes like oh it's going to be fabulous and that was I could just imagine in my head the trailer obviously ends on that line because that's of course you'd do that and then I watched the trailer yeah. and it's the, none of those lines are in there at all I was like wow. I don't I, I, I thought that they seemed so like trailer lines. That they must have been specifically written, just for, exclusively for trailer purposes, but apparently not. That's... Oh my god! Hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure ben. they don't get to choose those, though. <laughs> oh no, 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 no! Ben here makes like a jokey kind of insult about how she works at the women's magazine, but I'm glad that she does kind of call him out on it because he advertises sports crap and shoes. Yeah, like <laughs> what's different about this? Right. I, I thought that was quite a good little thing, and he accepts that that comeback from her. It's like. Uh, Touche. And, you know, and you fair know, enough. You got me. To come full circle too, not only like they're just they're, they're such generic characters. Um, character A and character B, or A A and B B, uh, <laughs> but not to be confused with B B Newworth. Um, <laughs> the it's it's like not only that, but then their jobs are women's magazine and men's athletic gear. Like wh- what? Like really? <laughs> Like you just you know, can they be any more generic? Like just <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's insane. It's insane. It's the first thing that came to mind when they sat down to write the film. Like I don't know, that'll do. <laughs> Their names should just be Guy and Gal. Like <laughs> just let's. Really I would appreciate that. <laughs> Crazy. Like it really does. It feels like this movie was written in like a lab of like <laughs> like they like they like they took all romantic comedies, boiled them all down into some sort of concoction, and then. Uh, you know, shat it all out, and and this is the movie that we ended up with. Uh-huh. But it's missing the one crucial ingredient of romantic comedies that you feel attached to the two leads. <laughs> right, right. Well, it was all done with science, not emotion. Uh-huh. That's what it is, no heart. <laughs> right. So I've watched a lot of rom-coms in, in my time, and uh, the McConaughey rom-com that I really enjoyed was Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, which is just mm. exactly it's just a Christmas Carol. Only it's about McConaughey's philandering ways and you know the the ghosts of his girlfriend's past. Even though there's only one, and then it's the present and the future, and whatnot. And a great turn from Emma Stone there as well in that movie as as the ghost of girlfriend's past. It's a cause that has bits in it though. Like wait 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 that movie suggests that uh, pushing fifty year old Matthew McConaughey dated. 20 year old Emma Stone? Oh, no, it's supposed to be when he was a teenager. <laughs> they, they flash back to like uh, when, when they were. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Yeah. Okay, good. Good. All right. Fair, I was getting a bit weird for a Yeah, minute. I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Okay, all right. Well, it's one of those things that is weird because she's the ghost. She's the ghost. She's like the ghost of Christmas past, basically. So she's a former girlfriend of his when they were teenagers. But then they never mention it's like, oh, she dead? Is the, is the actual person dead? Is this an actual ghost? Because they have his assistants is playing the ghost of Christmas present, but she's alive. And it's like, how does that work? And then, but one of the things that do work in very, very well, and actually weirdly enough ties into this movie because um, this movie was weirdly enough produced by Robert Evans, like legendary Hollywood super producer who did Chinatown and The Godfather and stuff. And then uh, Michael Douglas (laughs) is in Ghost of Girlfriend's Past looking eerily like Robert Evans, as if like they're basing the character entirely on Robert Evans. And it's like, but at least that movie... You know, it has very, like, memorable scenes. Like, there's a bit where he's talking to him as, like, it's just, he's, like, the kind of Jacob Marley guy. And he's showing him, like, oh, here's, like, a a, um, 
a rain of all the tears that women have cried for you. And it's very, very cheesy. And you're like, oh, yeah, but it's kind of hitting home for McConaughey. And it's like, and here's all the yeah. tissues that they use. It's like a typhoon of tissues comes past them. And then, like, here's all the, the condoms you've used. And then McConaughey, like, jumps into a car. And it's implied that he's about to get pelted by a wave of, like, used condoms and stuff. Aww. And that scene is like, oh, I remember that. That was pretty funny. But this scene has nothing. How could you forget? Yeah, that? but this scene has nothing. This movie has nothing like that. This is like, eh, yeah, there's just no, there's no beyond the kind of general setup and the fact that their performances, despite the fact that the characters are very hateful, are quite enjoyable to watch because Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey are very good actors. I, I think like a couple of months time, I probably wouldn't be able to really tell you what happens in this movie. Like, it's, it's, yeah, the thing about the romantic comedy is that, like it typically it's like one of them makes a mistake. And then has to, through a grand gesture, apologize for the mistake and win that person back, right? Mm. Um, Whether that's the man or the woman. But, like, in the case of this movie, they're both terrible and neither of them really apologize. They just (laughs) – they just – he chases after her and then they kiss and I guess everything's okay now. There is one thing I like here as well, though. I think there's something that reminds me of Batman 89. Mm-hmm. It's the way she goes on explaining how she has a master's in journalism and she's she's legit. Mm-hmm. And it just made me think about Vicky Vale, mm. the way Vicky is trying to do these proper real stories, these gritty stories. She's gone on to this war thing. Right. But um, it, it seems like she, if I remember rightly, does she do fashion stuff as well or the Joker, I'm trying to remember the damn movie. We covered it for a year. <laughs> I, don't think, uh, I think there was the whole talk because Knox is like, oh, Vicky Vale, like, oh, Cosmo, Vogue. And he, he says it to her. That's it. But it seems to be it. like, yeah, she, yeah, at one point she did fashion photography. She did but it. then she's That's... also expanded out into quarter Maltese and all that business. That would be a better yeah, ending so of this movie. she's trying to be real and legit. <laughs> that would be a great ending, though, of like, uh, you know, Kate Hudson writes this article. And then BB Nervous is like, there's a war in Cordo Maltese. We need you to go cover it for the yes. fashion magazine. And then she comes yes. back with like this mane of curly hair. And then she just moves to Gotham City to cover bats. I think we've talked plenty about this movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. My ending note actually had is when uh, McConaughey uh, says, like, I was saving the world one shopaholic at a time. And it reminded me of confessions of a shopaholic and it's like don't remind me mm. of better of better rom-coms like, <laughs> like in the middle of this one don't don't bring up a, a way better movie all right because that movie is like again that's a lot of weird messages going on in that about like you know mm. the na- nature of this woman's consumerist attitudes towards thing and there's her obsessive nature and the fact that woman just loves shopping and all this sort of stuff but to be fair to it very very likable and you know and why don't we uh wrap up our discussion of this by each of us uh uh telling the listener a better rom-com that they could watch instead of this movie <laughs> oh you guys should seek out a romantic comedy called man up which um hmm. stars uh lake bell and simon Pegg. just it's that perfect sort of 90 minutes in and out and it's just really smart and uh it gives you a premise which is that she steals someone else's blind date and has to pretend to be her. And you think like, okay, so that's what this whole movie is. And then they flip it by having him find out about a half hour into the movie. And then the rest of the movie goes on from there where they're just sort of like using each other, but then falling in love at the same time. And it's like just, it's also a one crazy night movie, which I love those. It's really, really good. So uh, the movie's called Man Up. But there was one called, um, what's it called? The Was it just called Bachelorette? But uh, I remember we watched it and we had a kind of vibe of like, because we were looking for like deliberately terrible things to kind of make fun of. And we're like, oh, stick on this. And it had really, really bad reviews. And we're like, oh, this is perfect. And then we watched it. And we're like, this is really good. Like, why, why are people dumping on this movie so much? Because it had, it was like, yeah, uh, Kirsten Dunst and... Uh, Lizzie Kaplan, who was just, oh yeah, it's just called Bachelorette, yeah, uh, from 2012. And you get uh, Kristen Dunst, uh, Lizzie Kaplan, and Rebel Wilson. And Isla Fisher, actually, as well. Right. And, uh, right, that was, it, it came out um, off of the Bridesmaids craze. Like yeah. a bunch of movies like that got greenlit with like female ensembles. Yeah. yeah. And there's a whole bunch of stuff of like trying to do things around a wedding. And there is a, there is a romance element to it. So I don't know if it's strictly, maybe it's more crazy 
caper, just trying to do stuff at a at a wedding movie, or you know whether you could class it as a rom com. But we class it as a rom com, mm-hmm. and on that level, it was very good. Yeah, I can't really think of any like obscure ones. All the ones coming to mind are really obvious. Like I I enjoy, I enjoy Clueless, for instance. That oh, counts yeah. as a rom com, well, doesn't it? Um, a previous uh, a pre- pre- previous uh, Darren Houston original uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, very good as well. Uh, I mean, the only other one I can think of again, very obvious and much more recent, is uh, The Big Sick. Oh yeah, I was. A, mm. Very big fan yeah. of that. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Well, um, Scott, would you like to tell the listeners where they can find you and all your great podcasts? Yes, uh, you can find me at DuelingGenre.com. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at just at Scott Corelli, my name. Um, but I am currently doing Hot Fuzz uh, one minute at a time, um, premiering in uh, November of 2018. Uh, we already covered... Uh, Shaun of the Dead, and uh, next year we'll be doing The World's End. That's uh, the Cornetto Minute, and then I have Spider-Man Minute as well, uh, where we covered the uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. We did the first one, uh, we finished the second one, and now we've got the third one coming out in 2019. Uh, we'll be back like in the summer to start covering that. I was also the host of Back to the Future Minute, uh, which we did 345 episodes of that, covering that whole trilogy. So you can go find that at Dueling Genre, and uh, you can find all the other podcasts that we do at duelinggenre.com. You know, let me reach out and let me know that you're listening. Well, uh, I should probably plug us yeah. as well. Yeah. If you'd like to listen to us, uh, Niall and I host the Bat Minute podcast where we do, well, the same thing as what Scott just described, basically, but we go through the, uh, the Batman movies one minute at a time. We've done Batman 1989. We are currently doing Batman Returns. And then we're going to do the Joel Schumacher ones, too. Ooh, we, that's, fun. that's, fun. that's the thing, because we want to do it uh, three days a week. So it usually means that like Scott will have two movies done and we'll still be <laughs> chipping away at the same <laughs> film. <laughs> well, you, you can find that all over the internet. If you just put in Bat Minute, it'll, it'll come up. But we're on Facebook. We have the Bat Minute uh, Listener's Cave. We are on Twitter, at Bat Minute. We're on Instagram. We're everywhere. So look us up on iTunes. Give us a review. That's always a good thing to do. That's helpful. It's lovely. It's nice. And I will thank you. I'll buy you a beer. Make sure to check out the next episode because despite us saying, you know, we hate this movie, but I am excited to hear other people talk about this movie. <laughs> yeah. I think it'll be fantastic. I, talking about movies you don't like is one of the best things in life. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly better than talking about movies you do like. Well, let's not let's not go that far. <laughs> so yes, make sure to check out the next episode of How to Lose a Guy in Ten Episodes. <laughs>